0: The stories be motivated, be inspired. Join us today, Voice America
1: Influencers. Welcome to the Art of Significance with your host, Hall of Fame speaker, New York Times best-selling author, university professor, gold record songwriter, and award-winning athlete Dan Clark. Get ready for engaging discussions with some of the most influential people in the world who will impart their wisdom, stories, and inspiration on why and how to achieve the level beyond success. Now, here's your host, Dan Clark.
2: Welcome to my show. I get so excited. I still am a professional speaker for the last 35 years, and I'm traveling the world, but I get excited anticipating coming on the air every Tuesday and the good news is I have more and more people joining our tribe of listeners and uh, loyal friends tuning in and I would encourage all of you please go to my website danclark.com and click on receive free gifts and training so you can join my tribe and connect off the air connect outside of this particular radio show And you can watch some of my crazy, funny videos and, um, you know, little movie clips. I went up into space on October 23rd, 2010. There's a 15-minute documentary on YouTube on my website where you can kind of see my experience. And I'll tell you something, my friends, that when you're, it's a classified mission, but when you're at about 16 miles above the Earth's surface, And you can look at the curvature of the earth and gaze into the endless blackness of space and ponder your own mortality, ponder eternity and where you fit in. How come I'm on the earth at this time? What's my purpose? It's amazing that when we landed after that close to five-hour sortie, my life was forever changed. And that's why I'm so honored to have this radio show on Voice America, the Influencers Channel. I take that word influencer so, so seriously. But with that serious monologue, let me get right back into my signature joke joke telling. We've got to laugh and we've got to learn to take ourselves less seriously. So a man was sitting at a table in the bar and suddenly two huge men came in the door, walked up to him and beat the ever-living tar out of him. Leaving him unconscious and in a pool of blood on the floor, the two men strutted out of the bar. And as they left, they stopped the bartender and proudly said, when he wakes up, tell him that was karate from Korea and judo from Japan. In a few minutes, the guy regained consciousness, stood up, wiped himself off, finished his drink, and left. And later that day, the two men came back to the bar and while they were drinking and laughing about what had happened that day, the same guy they beat up walked back into the bar. He walked straight up to their table and knocked both of them out cold. As he left, he said to the bartender, hey fool, when they wake up, tell them that was a crowbar from Sears. <laughs> what in the world does that have to do with anything I want to talk about on this two-hour show today? Well, may I please say everything, because today is the 73rd anniversary of what is known as D-Day, when our American troops bravely and courageously stormed the beaches of Normandy, the coast of Normandy, France, and stormed specifically Omaha Beach and the beaches around it. And when we have an opportunity to come to June 6th every single year, it is so critically important that we make it more than a cliche to say that freedom is not free. And in our world of fake news, which we all know exists, it comes from our politicians, it comes from our news agency, it comes from our network television and radio programs and as sad as that sounds, it's a reality. What it has done for me is illuminated the reality of how many fake people we have in this world. Let me share a story. Many years ago, I love to participate in charitable events. My family and I have always tried to raise money for, for noble causes and participate whenever we can. And <clears throat> we had purchased a table and invited some of our friends to join us in Hollywood, California, to raise money for an awesome charity. And you know, This will sound arrogant, but I think if you're going to go to a concert, you need to save your money up and work hard so you can have the front row seats and then work your magic so you can have the meet and greet backstage passes. It makes the experience more memorable, and why not? Why Why live small because someone else thinks you should? I say think big, learn to play at the highest levels, learn to network at the highest levels in your business, in your community, learn to... Uh, influence the affluent which we'll talk about over the course of the year with different guests that I have but anyway so I'm accustomed to the front row seats backstage passes you know working hard to fly first class uh, so that you can have options to serve military servicemen and when when they come on you can give them your seat I mean you've heard that story so far since I've been on the air well we show up to this gala in Hollywood and my friends greet us there and we walk in collectively through the door of the ballroom at the Beverly Wilshire, eh? And the maitre d' says, what's your name? I said, Mr. Clark, Dan Clark. <clears throat> she says, follow me. And we turned left to go to the front of the ballroom where I usually sit, VIP you know, distinguished visitor section. And the maitre d' said, oh no, Mr. Clark, come with me. And we turned and she sat us at the last row in a round table in the corner of the ballroom. We didn't even have a light over our table. It was like we were banished to outer darkness. And of course, my good friend started flipping me crap. Yeah, tickets on the front row. Yeah, I'm glad we came in here to support you, Clark. I was mortified. I wanted to see the stage. And while they're introducing all of these little Hollywood starlet 90210 superstars, about 30 minutes later, they sit at my table, the, 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 the maitre d' comes back and sits, the famous, the elegant, the amazing Gregory Peck. He sits down next to me at our table, and now I'm like, okay, now we're talking. And my guests, my friends stop flipping me crap. They all leaned in, this was a legend. I mean, look up his movies. He has made such a difference in our, in our entertainment world. And about 30 minutes into our conversation, into our meal, all of a sudden a young journalist walks past our table and basically notices Gregory Peck. And she walks over and she goes, oh my gosh, Gregory Peck, no one has even acknowledged that you're in the room. No one has ever introduced you. Don't you feel shafted? And in his low baritone, graceful elegance, he says, if you have to tell them that you are, then you aren't. What a message to counteract this fake news and this onslaught of fake people in our world. I mean, look around, my friends. How many times do we see the guy wearing a giant cowboy hat and he doesn't even own any cows? We're trying to put on a show on the Internet. We're trying to make ourselves and our lives look so much more glamorous and wonderful on Facebook and on Instagram than it really is and so it becomes a fictitious fake representation of who we are and what we're trying to, to to do or how we're trying to what we're trying to wear how we're trying to speak what events we're trying to attend to make ourselves seem like we're somebody that we're not in a world of fake news in a world of fake superficial people let's celebrate the real men who stormed the coast of Normandy, France 73 years ago today which is called D-Day because it single-handedly turned around the outcome of World War II. One of our guests today will be a dear friend of mine, retired two-star Air Force General Don Alston, and he's gonna talk about D-Day. He's gonna talk about the military mindset and put us back into perspective so that we stop tolerating fake news that we require that individuals become real and authentic and present in every moment. And as we were preparing for our interview that will come up in the last couple of segments of the show today, General Alston commented to me that he had just been reading Stephen Ambrose's wonderful book and he's the author of D-Day. And I want him to talk about his personal experience in listening to this author uh, up close and personal. But what he said was that in this particular speech that he was attending as a young Air Force officer that Stephen Ambrose, the author of D-Day said, as these young soldiers, as these young Marines, as these young military men with all due respect to the women in in military service these days that particular day the boats the landing vessels were crammed full of young men and we have to understand that courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyway Quoting the author Stephen Ambrose, which General Don Alston will refer to, he said, quote, the door of the landing craft opened. Now visualize the giant ships and the soldiers departing the ship and climbing into these small landing crafts because the water was shallow and the large ships couldn't get close enough to the beachhead. And so they're in these small landing crafts protected by the steel, basically hidden, ducking underneath the top of the walls of these boats. And when they landed and hit the shore, the front of the boat slams open so that they can depart the landing craft, run through the shallow water and onto the beach to face the onslaught of Nazi machine gun fire. And what happened, quote, the door of the landing craft opened and the captain stepped forward. <clears throat> Sorry. And the captain stepped forward and was cut down. The lieutenant stepped into the breach, took another few steps, and was cut down. The sergeant then followed and took charge of the squad and moved a little farther to the beach, and then he fell. Ladies and gentlemen, 73 years ago, today, 2,000 Americans gave the ultimate sacrifice they gave their lives at Omaha Beach. Yeah, freedom is not free. I hope and pray today for all military families. And when you see someone in a military uniform today in an airport, in a restaurant, in a mall, on the street, if you know someone in your neighborhood, take the time to thank him and her for their service before self. Because my radio show has been always, has always been divided into three segments, the influencers from the world of music, how music influences our lives. Yes, as Tricia Yearwood made famous, the song remembers when we all have a favorite song, a wedding song, whatever the case may be when we remember when we met our significant other, our spouse, our love of our life. We'll divide this show, obviously, into the three segments, music, the influence of music, the influence of inspirational individuals in our world. Today, we have Steve Jennings, one of my dearest friends, one of the true heroes in our world, who, yeah, is a real man. And then, as I said, we will conclude our time together today after all the breaks intermingled with retired General Don Alston, who is one of my favorite human beings on the planet, so smart, so passionate given so many years to service before self in our United States uh, Air Force, and I can't wait to get him back on the show. As we start winding down to our very first break, may I just share something from my own personal life? Yes, I'm a songwriter. I've got some gold records in country music, and I'm proud of that. But one of the songs I'm most proud of, it's my best love song. Now visualize Faith Hill singing it, not me. And uh (sighs) I want you to listen to the words because in my mind, today is the 73rd anniversary of real men doing what was necessary, storming Omaha Beach, the coasts of Normandy, France to change the world forever. My song, Real Man, it goes like this. And again, visualize Faith Hill singing it, not me, especially for those of you who might tune in as I start to quote the lyric. The good news is you'll be able to download it in its recorded form next week on iTunes. But for right now, I just want to quote it to take us into break. A real man strong in stature, excuse me, excuse me. I need a man, that was the chorus, sorry, sorry, you can tell I'm a little goofy, a little nervous quoting lyrics on a radio program. But here we go. I need a man who knows happily ever after is a day at a time proposition. A man who knows making love is not a three minute composition. It's a slow dance full of romance, a walk on the beach in the sand. It's having a whole conversation just by holding my hand. He would stir deep desire that sets me on fire to be with them all that I can. No, no, I won't settle for anything less than a real man. Chorus, a real man strong in stature, firm in faith and kisses slow. He sometimes cries and when we hug, he's the last one to let go. Worshiping the ground I walk on, he's my biggest fan. There's nothing like being loved by a real man. And for those of you ladies who are listening to this show, I'm sure some of you are saying, Gosh, do you mind if I smoke? <laughs> and guaranteed, most of the gentlemen who are listening to, the, to, today are saying, Oh, perfect. Well, let's put it into perspective. And you know, I played football for 13 years. So many of you already know my story that I was paralyzed in a football tackling draw. I was paralyzed for 14 months. 16 doctors told me I'd never get any better. And as I started to get better, I was asked to speak, and that's how I became a speaker and an author. But here's my point I was interviewed on country radio a long time ago in Nashville, Tennessee and the host says how does a linebacker write a song like that Dan real man how did you come up with those lyrics I said it was easy I made a list of things I wasn't and I decided that I could become them not because it's expected by somebody else but because it's demanded of myself this show is about becoming a real human being physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, doing everything we know how to do to be present in the moment so that we can use who we really are to inspire others to become who they need to be so that we don't die with our music still in us. I have one of my dearest friends on the planet, one of my heroes, Kat Gravitz. She's our, our superstar songwriter coming on our show in just a minute after break. And you don't want to I miss her because more than anything, she's not only a hit songwriter, she's not only legendary in Nashville and in pop music as a superstar, but where she touches your your heart and where she and I have connected all these years at the soul level is her goodness and her understanding and her, under, her, her, her perception and comprehension of what life's about and what her mission is to inspire the world, especially through music. So you want to stay tuned. Let's go to break, and when we come back, it will be with Cat Gra- with Gravit, a platinum-selling uh, uh, superstar songwriter, and uh, you don't want to miss this for the next two segments. Let's go to break. I can't wait to have you join me again. This is Dan Clark, voiceamerica.com, radio network, the Influencers Channel, and my show is called The Art of Significance, Achieving the Level Beyond Success, and that's what we're going to talk about in a moment let's go to break be sure to friend us on Facebook you can do it right now visit facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for us at keyword voice America are you finding your frequency Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7.
1: You're listening to The Art of Significance, featuring your host, Dan Clark. If you want to join in on this week's discussion, give us a call at one 472 5795 Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop down a line via email to danclark at xmission.com. Now back to The Art of Significance. Here again is Dan Clark.
2: Welcome back. And yes, we're in the first two, the second and third segments of my show where I always highlight a hit songwriter, Dear friends of mine and one of the the most important people in my life has been this amazing woman by the name of Kat Gravitt. And I know, Kat, you don't really realize, but when we do a show, obviously, you know, the licensing agreements that we always have to face and the hoops we have to jump through to get musical permission or permission to use certain music. Well, that guitar solo that brings you into my show is actually me off of my first album recorded back in 1983, so I only that say that so, so that when I see you next time in Nashville, you'll suck up to me a little better than you usually do because you know that I at least can, you know, can can shred back in the day when my fingers worked. Anyway,
3: I thought it was jo- I thought it was Joe Perry.
2: Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much. Could you repeat that about nine more times? That was my attempt, thinking I was, you know, Eddie Van Halen. But go for it. Anyway, listeners, before I allow Cat to. Share her amazing heart with us. Let me just share with you a little bit about her. I could read 19 pages of her bio, but I've consolidated it down for our promo to say that Kat Gravit is an American songwriter based in Twangtown, USA. Actually, it's called Nashville, Tennessee, where for over 20 years, she has been a platinum selling hitmaker, with her current publishing deal with Razor and Tie. After graduating from Eastern Illinois University in journalism, Kat was signed to A&M Records in an all-girl pop group in Los Angeles. When the group parted ways, she moved to Nashville where she wrote a song about a fire that injured her godson that we're going to talk about in a moment that was recorded by gospel music star Natalie Grant, which became a CCM number one single nominated for Gospel Music Association Song of the Year and Pop Song of the Year in 2008. Moving ahead, <clears throat> in 2012, Cat was named CSAC Songwriter of the Year, and over the time with hits including Where You Are, <clears throat> excuse me, for Rascal Flatts, Underneath and Running for pop artist Adam Lambert, Honestly for... Kelly Clarkson, Amen for Eden's Edge, Alone With You for Jake Owen, Love and Why You Wanna for Jana Kramer, and eight of the 11 tracks with the producer credit on the debut album for rock band Sons of Sylvia. Like I said, you need to uh, figure out on Wikipedia, go to her website, which we'll talk about before this segment is over, of how you can contact Kat, how you can download her songs, how you can join her tribe and follow her in her amazing life. But Kat, welcome to my show. I love you so.
3: <laughs> I love you, Dan. Thank you for that. I'm tired after hearing all of that.
2: Well, I'm tired writing it. I'm like, are you serious? Now what else has she done? Okay, then what? Then what? Then what? I'm like, oh my goodness. Please, let's just cut to the chase, Cat. You and I met so many years ago. And for some reason, as we have certain individuals come and go into our lives, thousands, and sometimes in our experience, millions of acquaintances that come and go into our lives for different reasons, still, I'm sure most of our listeners will agree that there's just those one or two people that we seem to connect with immediately, and instead of trying to quantify and put into words why we connected so quickly and why we have this soul-to-soul um respect for one another, I want our listeners to understand the story behind Cat Gravit, Cat, <clears throat> excuse me, I can't even talk, yeah. the story behind Cat <laughs> Gravit, so that they too have have an opportunity to connect with you in the same way that you and I have connected all these years. So let's just start back with your home life. I think that's so fascinating that you were raised by this incredible uh duo and then you had to battle the influences of your brothers as well to stay to 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 stay afloat let's just talk briefly about this amazing upbringing that you had with your family Uh,
3: well i did i did have what some people would call what felt like a leave it to beaver childhood um i'm 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 from Population 3000, a small town in Illinois, and the sign has never changed. And I think when one goes, another baby comes, and it's never been over 3000. And um you so really they was. miss you
2: to, So they miss you today. They're looking around like, "Where's Cat?" Oh my <laughs> god. Right. hated when she left that's, and went to the big city.
3: That's right. They um everybody's so everybody's so supportive, but my parents just, I mean, honestly, I Looking back, maybe a childhood like a lot of other people, but I was sandwiched in between an older brother and a younger brother and uh, was just raised on a couple acres, but in a farm community, and my dad worked for John Deere his whole life, so when all these young bucks come in and talk about writing a country song about John Deere, I'm like, bro, I've got so much swag in my closet since (laughs) I've been a little girl. My dad would take us down to the to the main headquarters in Moline, Illinois, and every time a new tractor would come off the line, he'd put me and my brothers in the giant wheel and take a photograph. So I knew every tractor that came <laughs> off the line. And so here's this girl in a riding appointment and I can hang with the boys writing me a country song about a tractor.
2: I love. It wasn't Joe Diffie the one that actually recorded John Deere or something who was who was yes. the artist. John yeah. Deere so Jean. he so you should have written that song. You're kicking yourself that you hadn't really had that inspiration I, before I'm that. I'm so
3: mad. I'm so mad. I still <laughs> I still haven't had a hit with John Deere in the title, but I'm waiting for it. I'd like to do that for my dad.
2: I love it. I love it. So let's talk about you. So you go away to, to school, to, the, to Eastern Illinois University. You studied journalism. And when did you discover that you could sing and perform? I think that's one of the great stories you've shared with me.
4: Well,
3: I've been writing ever since I was little. I, 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 I Maybe a lot of people have these stories, too. But when I was in the seventh grade, my parents, my grandparents had a huge anniversary. I can't even remember what big number it was. They ended up being married for 67 years. And my parents are still together at 57 years. So I remember um, everybody was bringing a present, and I wanted to write them a song. So in the eighth grade, I it was my first song that I ever wrote for them. I can't remember it to this day, but I just remember my grandmother, I printed out the lyrics, and for all the years, she lived to be 93, um, she just had it on the wall. And I think the the pride with all the grandkids that she had, and she had a ton, the, just the pride and the joy of going in there and seeing that she thought it was good enough to put in a frame and put up on the wall, I think that just really stirred up everything, and I always wondered why I went into journalism, and I'm realizing now. I actually headed towards news. I was uh, co-anchoring a small college station in that little town and truly loved and had a passion for news. But um, it was mostly with words and wondered all these years, why did I major in journalism, and I didn't even use my bachelor's degree. And then you really look back in retrospect, and we really do use you know, anything that's along our journey. And I I like to tell a lot of young people that to, if you don't feel like college isn't for you, then go for being just the great entrepreneur. I think it's wonderful. My brother was the first one that brought, he said, I'm going to be the first one in the family to throw down the million dollar check on the table. And he did, and he didn't graduate from college. So I honor anybody that's out there and and if they ever feel less than that, they don't have a bachelor's degree or an education, that's ridiculous. So um, I'm just, there was just something about it for me, the finishing of it, the, the discipline. Um, and I'm looking back now and realizing that I do use it. And, and words are words. And um, if you're going to be any sort of a writer, you know, we need words. So
2: I, yeah, I and, Mike. And, and you keep writing I mean, well, <laughs> I remember my first, my first song. My first song started on top of old Smoky, all covered with snow. I lost my best bird dog by aiming too low, and that didn't really inspire a whole lot of, of folks out there. So think about what happened to me had I quit on that first attempt. So you're inspiring me even now to this day, my dear.
3: You know, it's funny. I never. All the rest of the girl, the little girls that I was always hanging out with, they always had the posters of, you know, whatever boy was the famous. A hot, beautiful boy at the time And I only All I cared about was the song I never remembered the artist I was terrible at the game When somebody said Who is that When something was playing on the radio I only knew the song So at a really young age I just was obsessed with the song And again, you know, we are nothing as songwriters without the artist. But I never really focused on just honing in on one artist. It was just always about falling in love with the song. And so, you know, the seed was planted, and I've got a two-year-old that I'm raising, and I'm sort of watching now to see. I mean, it really is, it does become very evident about um, passion at a really young age, and it did with me.
2: Yes, ma'am. Let's go to commercial break, and let's come back. You don't want to miss... Kat's explanation of her first hit, as we shared in my intro, that there was a a tragic accident. And from that, she was able to coin a powerful song that allowed those involved to heal. Music's not only entertaining, music is the healer of the heart. Music connects the head with the heart. It, 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 It soothes the soul. Let's go to, to break and we'll come back. We're we're talking with Kat Gravit, platinum-selling songwriter, dear, dear friend, humanitarian, awesome mom, amazing human being. And we'll be back in just a moment to hear her story about her first hit. And then I want to talk to you, my dear, about your battle with a brain tumor and how you've not only... Emerged as that as that phoenix from the ashes but now what you've learned from it that you now inculcate into your music writing that will continuously change the world is that fair my friend
3: yes my friend
2: okay so let's go to commercial break here and I will see if I can um, get my engineer to uh, pull the plug and if he He doesn't write, that's no big deal. We will. Okay, I'm wetty. Thanks, brother. Okay, let's go to break right now, and then we'll come back with Cat Gravis. This is voiceamerica.com, the Influencers Channel.
0: Hear the stories. Be motivated. Be inspired. Join us today. Voice America
4: Influencers.
5: Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune in to the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading Conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time.
6: Influence is often inherited, but more often created from our actions. The Voice America Influencers Channel brings together those who are creating and leading the way, and those who will create the road from nowhere in the future. Being an influencer isn't always about being the most important person in the world. It's about being the most influential person in the world around you. A better manager, a better friend, a better marketer, or strategic planner. The Voice America Influencers Channel is about becoming better and earning influence be an influencer join us today
0: this is the voice america influencers channel be inspired
1: you're listening to the art of significance featuring your host dan clark if you want to join in on this week's discussion, give us a call at one 472 5795 Again, that's one 472 5795 Or drop down a line via email to danclark at xmission.com. Now, back to The Art of Significance. Here again is Dan Clark.
2: And my guest is Kat Gravitt, a platinum-selling hit songwriter, dear, dear friend of mine, one of the most amazing human beings on the planet, Kat as promised when we went to break yes ma'am talk to me about your first hit song Uh, and it's almost sacrilegious to call it a hit song it was so important in your life and in the lives of your friends and family members as a tool of healing but will you please share that story about how what happened and then how you, you rose to the occasion to write a song to do what you could do using your God given talent to help everybody heal through music
3: uh, well what happened was it it was probably at that point one of the greatest tragedies that I had ever walked through and um one of my best friends was a single mom and her son was 6 years old Ethan and they came to visit my fiance and I um to his hometown and they decided to come from California to um West Tennessee And his parents lived on about 600 acres at the time, and um, we had a beautiful Thanksgiving and uh, had a bonfire at night and just sang a bunch of songs, and he played the guitar, and and it was just uh, Ethan living in California right outside of Los Angeles had never been exposed to just this kind of open land to just do as he pleased and just run forever, so to speak. And the very next day, um, I was packing in the back of the house, just getting ready to leave. And um, evidently, the embers of the fire were still going, very, very small. But um, Philip's father poured um, what has always been just diesel, not gasoline, and just sort of always used to calm down the embers. There must have been some gas drops of gasoline in it, and it combusted at the moment that Ethan was sort of running around the area, and he had on a down vest, and um, it caught on fire. And um, I heard the screams and came running out to a little six-year-old, literally his body on fire. And
4: my mm-hmm. fiance
3: put out the, the flames as best as he could. And we obviously rushed into the hospital, um, and we were at a small-time hospital, and they said, don't worry, he just has first-degree burns. And I knew that it was much more serious than that. And um, we lifelighted him out of there to Vanderbilt. And when we arrived, the head plastic surgeon in the burn unit, who's now become a dear friend, sat us down and said uh, to prepare that he probably wouldn't make it through the night. Um, We all used so much prayer. People came in from all over and to just be a witness of how um, a group of people focused in on the good of another human, human being in prayer so that I was allowed to witness this. Ethan survived, uh, but 49% of his body was burned. And through all of this, um, I, I wanted to be with her, my best friend, Um, through this whole daily uh, situation because um, it's one of the toughest units as anybody would know that's been through this in the hospital and so um, I quit through the kindness of my publisher I stopped for four months and uh, went through every series of of operations there were 18 operations in in that small amount of time skin grafting, you can imagine and uh he survived, and he is 17 to this day, and we have actually, uh, we wrote a rap song together. He's very quiet and came to me and asked if he could try, and turns out that he had a whole lot to say. So we wrote a song called Fire that is um, mind-blowing wow. to me when we were sitting in the room, and um, and the very first song that I wrote coming out of the burn unit was with my friend, um, my friends Jim D'Addario and Tom Hardwell. And we sat down, and that was the first song I wrote was a song called In Better Hands. And um, Natalie, it was on hold for a really big female country artist. And I got a phone call. I was at a studio, and this woman named Natalie Grant called, and at the time, I didn't know who she was. And I kind of put my hand over the phone and asked anybody if they knew who she was. Yeah. She said, uh, I've heard this song. I don't really cut hardly any outside songs or record any outside songs, and I'm doing this. And I respected how, you know, a lot of times you have to <coughs> thank somebody to cut one of your songs, to record one of your songs. But um, she, I said, well, somebody else has it on hold, and she said, well, I'm I'm recording it. And I really, after a while, I thought, you know what? I appreciate this. And I I think I was just so stunned from what was behind that song. And she said, is there anything that you want me to know before I stand up at the microphone for inspiration? And I was so um, filled with grief over the whole thing with Ethan. And I said, just please sing it for Ethan. And she said, is that the little boy that was burned? And I said, how did you know? And she said, well, we saw it on the news and my husband and I have been praying for him for, for three, four months. And I looked and then wow. I told her, please go and sing it for Ethan. And she went to every radio show and only said that, you know, told the story of Ethan. She didn't talk about herself when she did this song. And as they were wheeling Ethan in for another surgery, we were holding, hanging onto the bedside One of the nurses had the radio up loud. And right before he went in for surgery, that song came over the airwaves.
2: Wow. Yeah, I remember when you told me that story. I cried then, and now I'm in the lobby of the Marietta Hotel in Camarillo, California, crying. And everybody wants to know who's on the other end of this this call. Wow. Well, and
3: then for myself, I... Was kind of in a shock, like you and I were talking about a little bit earlier. I found out I had some things. I've never even been in the hospital, never had a health issue in my life. And then I was driving in a Uber to head to an appointment that I had at Vanderbilt University, and this man was in a full uh, three-piece suit, and he asked if he could turn on the radio and normally, ironically, when I'm in a car I don't like music on, which is really unlike a lot of people that adore music and I adore music and I said, sure and he turned on the radio and In Better Hands came on and I had mm-hmm. never heard the words for myself and I listened to those lyrics so that I could be soothed by those words on my way to... Uh,
2: an MRI my gosh Kat. my gosh okay so let's uh let's talk a little teeny bit about your uh, your surprise and battle with this this brain tumor we're running out of time I definitely want to get to your your hit song that you've written for someone else but I want everybody to know again like I said before I want to give them an opportunity to connect with you and your heart and your purpose, just as I have had that opportunity, can you just share in brevity your battle, what happened, and then the recovery?
3: Yes, um, very quickly. I found out out of the blue. I was—I had become ill. Um, My—I started losing some motor skills on the left side of my body. My legs started dragging. Uh, um, and after a long series of trying to figure out what it was, I had an MRI, and they, about an hour after the results of the MRI, uh, called me and told me to uh, have someone help admit me to ICU, and they would tell me what it was when I got there. And when I got there, I was surrounded by a team of doctors, and they told me that I had um, a brain tumor, which was shocking enough. But they said what was becoming fatal was something called hydrocephalus, which is known as water on the brain. And the tumor was blocking my normal path of spinal fluid in my brain. And so my brain was filling up. And now I understand. Looking back and knowing all this, I was, uh, they told me that I was dying.
7: Mm. And
3: so um, I had emergency brain surgery 24 hours later and uh, and then just another one I just had brain surgery October 7th of last year so in a nutshell that's uh, that's the shocker of it all and yet at the same time I am just I'm, I'm actually working today I'm writing with an artist I'm in a studio so it's just, it's just incredible I feel so blessed to be alive
2: well I'm going to definitely have you back on the show so you can talk in more depth about your experience at UCLA Medical and the famous doctor and how, how everything you know, pulled out. You know, as a professional speaker, I've learned all, after all these years that people don't relate to our perfections. If we even have any, they relate to our imperfections. They don't really give a rat's zoodle if we've ever succeeded. They wanna know, did you ever fail? Did you ever fall down? And then what did you do about it? What did you learn from it? So Absolutely. before, we, before we, uh, we go to my next guest, Steve Jennings, who's on the line, I want to give you time to talk about this new artist that you're working with. And for those of you who are not familiar with the music business, it's all about the song. It's always about the song. And if you have the right song and you put that with the right artist's personality, with the right uh, instrument, the vocal cords, the, the pipes, as we call them in the music industry, it creates magic. Talk about how you found this young woman and why you're working with her when every one of our listeners would give anything to be working with cat grab in the uh in the studio tell us a little teeny bit about this young lady and then let's have you introduce the song and then my engineer is going to play this song so every one of the listeners can hear your magical words and lyrics and music melody and an awesome young woman singing it
3: Well, um, one of my best friends, Leanne Phelan, uh, who used to head up ASCAP at the time, she said, you have to hear this girl. And I met with her, listened to her. At the time, she was 17. She's only 19 now, and she's literally in the other room waiting for me to come and finish up (laughs) the song. Um, But when you meet somebody, kind of like your daughter, Dan, when I first met your daughter, when you meet a young lady that's of that age, filled with so much integrity, so much searching for the truth, and actually wanting to be a role model, and I understand, I'm not saying everybody has to, but wanting to be a role model, um, we wrote this song called Enough, and she's, um, she's on sarahbethpate.com, there's an H in the middle of her name, and her last name is T-A-I-T-E, and you can also get it on iTunes, she has an EP, but it's a song called Enough. And it's about, um, just it's really important to me to speak to young ladies to, so that they can understand that however they come out, whoever they are, whatever their thumbprint is, they are beyond enough. And that's what this song is about.
2: Yeah. This is, I've listened to it after you sent it in to me. It was amazing. I listened to it three or four times. And the good news is that now, listeners, you can go to iTunes, you can download it. What's the name again? What's the, it's called Enough, and, and
3: her name is Sarah Beth
2: Cates, T-A-I-T-E. So it's S A R A H B E A B E T E H, all one word. Remember, we're yeah, we're welcoming you to the south. It's kind of like Billy Bob. It's all one word. It's like Danny Boy. (laughs) That's
3: that's exactly right. Sarah Beth Tate.
2: Okay, Kat. Let's go to the uh, let's go to the song right now and just know how much I honor you. I love you. I'm going to have you back on the show as soon as you you will have. I'm begging you. begging you, you have a great day, and tell Sarah Beth she's a fortunate young woman.
3: I will. Love you, my friend. Have a beautiful day.
2: Thanks, you too.
7: Don't you dare go walking outside without your face being painted just right. God forbid he should see you tonight Looking like that, looking like that You're thinking you better wear that low-cut dress Less is more is what the magazine says Cosmopolitan says he'll only like you Looking like that, looking like that Wipe it off the lipstick and the fear Strip it down and stay
2: Dan Clark on VoiceAmerica.com, Influencers Channel. My show is called The Art of Significance. And you just heard a mag- magnificent song written by platinum-selling hit songwriter, my dear friend Kat Gravit, and it was performed by her protege, her her amazing young lady, recording artist Sarah Beth Tate. Available to download on iTunes. We're going to break, but you've got to stay in your seats you cannot go anywhere my next guest is my dear friend hero steve jennings in a nutshell so that you 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 don't go anywhere steve recovered from a brutal and horrifying automobile accident was expected to die but overcame a wheelchair binding paralysis to emerge as one of the nation's leading authorities on personal improvement achievement and peak performance He's a United Nations ambassador. The guy is a stud muffin, hunk of burning love. And as we began this show talking about real men, I guarantee, my friends, of all the millions I've met, the thousands that I know, the hundreds that I call friends, Steve Jennings is a real man. Let's go to break and come back with Steve Jennings. Don't go anywhere. This is Dan Clark, voiceamerica.com. We don't follow, we lead.
0: Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. Broaden your mind. Open your heart for a greater understanding of how to express your pure and authentic nature. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Simran, author, publisher and life mentor, broadens minds and opens hearts to a greater understanding of life, consciousness and humanity. 1111 Talk Radio is every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel, 1111 Talk Radio. You are not on a journey. You are the journey. You are experience experiencing itself. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be
1: inspired. You're listening to The Art of Significance featuring your host, Dan Clark. If you want to join in on this week's discussion, give us a call at 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. Or drop Dan a line via email to danclark at
2: xmission.com.
1: Now back to the Art of Significance. Here again is Dan Clark.
2: Hey, welcome back. And as promised, I'm here with uh, my good friend. It seems like every time I introduce one of my guests, I say my dear, dear friend. But Steve Jennings and I met each other a couple of years ago. And when I'm on the program, most of the time I follow someone and I get there early enough to kind of catch what they're talking about so that I can tie their remarks into my remarks. But then most of the time I leave and we go our separate ways. Steve Jennings has been one of those guys that I honor in every circle. And his name comes up whenever I talk about true heroes and true warriors who are so invincible that nothing has ever gotten them down And so it's an honor and a privilege to have you on my show, Steve. Let me let the listeners know who they're who they're communicating with, who they're listening to today. Steve Jennings is the founder and CEO of the high performance consulting firm Invincible Warrior Leadership Systems, a best-selling author, lawyer, speaker, and seminar leader in the achievement and leadership industries. Steve is an executive consultant, a United Nations ambassador for peace and a United States silver medalist and all-American athlete. Steve is a trusted consultant, advisor, and mentor whose guidance, strategic business experience, and champion example has transformed the lives of thousands. Steve recovered from a brutal and horrifying automobile accident was expected to die, but overcame a wheelchair-binding paralysis to emerge as one of the nation's leading authorities on personal improvement, achievement, and peak performance. Steve provides people and companies with the experienced direction to overcome the odds and win in business, finances, health, relationships, and in life, all infused with his unique Tough Love Invincible Warrior leadership style. Welcome to my show, Steve Jennings. How are you, brother?
5: Dan Clark, the great man. I'm so pleased and I'm proud to be with you today. And we could find this time to be together. But, you know, Dan, uh, I want to say this. Uh, As I was, you know, patched in, hooked in with your audio engineer there just a bit ago, I came in the tail end of your, you know, your uh, earlier, you know, interview with, I believe, it was Cat Gravit. Yep. And you just said a few things about Invincible Warrior. Well, let me say this. Given her life, her story, her challenges, her overcoming... Cat Gravit is the personal embodiment of what we're going to be talking about here in our short segment of what's an invincible warrior, somebody that truly overcomes challenges that are just monumental challenges when there seems to be no way. And it's true when you hear this, when people say, well, you got to make the impossible possible. Well, Cat Gravit is an example of just that. And also, I know something else, Dan. I'm not sure if you share with your, your listening audience, but I know about it, and if you don't mind, I'm going to share a few things. You know, I know, Dan, you yourself, you see, we're both college football players, and we know what it's like to be on that football field when it's tough, and everybody's tough, and the hitting is hard, and I know that, that you were a tough collegiate football player, and uh, but you sustained uh, some pretty serious uh, uh, contact, and one particular contact was... Uh, pretty darn tough. And I know you were really set back. You were paralyzed. Doctors said there's no way you're going to come back. No way at all. But you found a way out of no way. You became an Invincible Warrior. And look at your life today. And so I'm talking to an Invincible Warrior. I know that, you know, I've got the book, The Way of the Invincible Warrior, and it's the life I lead as well. But I only do it because I've seen so many examples of others. And uh, I was around so many others on my comeback and things in life. So uh, to hear Cat Gravit, to be on the show with you, Dan Clark, who is an Invincible Warrior, it means a lot to me. And hopefully we'll be able to share some good insights and some some yep. lessons for those free listeners today.
2: Well, for those of you listeners who haven't yet uh, Googled Steve Jennings, you're in for a treat because he's the embodiment embodiment of a game show host with Perfect Error. A talk show host with perfect uh, tan, perfect body, which is like watching the Olympics. Uh, the perfect personality. I could go on and on and on. You handsome, soulful dog. Let's get back to your story, <laughs> so I don't go on and on about this amazing human being. Let's just cut right to the chase. Tell us about your 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 horrible, horrific automobile accident, where you were, what happened, and then let's talk about what transpired through your recovery.
5: Well, you know, as a young man, but before I was at the age of 27, when this particular event occurred, you know, like so many people, uh, I'd lived a lot of life before I was 27. And a lot of that life before 27 prepared me in the best way that I could possibly be prepared for what I was about to experience in this particular event when I was 27. I was in Germany, I was in East Germany back then when they had the Iron Curtain, and uh, I was living in Europe at the time, I just was there on a Sunday just wanting to, you know, just do a little traveling, and I got a particular visa that would allow me to go across Checkpoint Charlie uh, into East Germany, and while I was there, I was just, you know, going on the other side into that very different land being in East Germany at the time, and uh, a particular event occurred. Like I said, I was just driving down a country road and about 20 kilometers outside of East Germany there. And, uh, uh, I was struck immediately uh, without the opportunity to, uh, have any kind of evasive action by an old world war two looking farm truck back in the day. And that truck smashed into me, crushed my vehicle, crushed me in it. I was bent, mangled, twisted. Uh, it was a real tornado that I was in and um, thing is uh, uh, when the paramedics and support personnel got there, they uh, they found my body, they you know checked my vital signs. I was you know covered in blood, I was crushed, I was just mangled there, and uh, had a no heartbeat, had no respiratory function, and so they they've seen these types of accidents, these events before, so they just covered my body with them with a just Kind of old blanket sheet there, and uh, they went on to tend of the people that had smashed into me. But thing is, they came back about 15, 20 minutes later, and as uh, they were walking by, one man took a look back, and he 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 thought he saw that 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 sheet move. He wasn't sure, but he took a look. He stopped, took another hard look, looked back, and said, "My God, that sheet's moving!" So he screamed, yelled out to those other men. They ran back over the vehicle. Uh. What had occurred, Dan, was somehow, some way, my heart had started beating again, just a little. And my arm had twitched underneath that sheet. And that man saw it. I, I, somehow he saw that sheet move. So he pulled that bloody sheet off me and they checked my vital signs again. Somehow I started back up again. And... Uh, yeah, May I interrupt was, you for one, one second? Let me, event, you
2: one, Dan. let me interrupt you for one second and then continue. For the listeners, how many times. Do we walk past people and don't notice when we can make a difference, when we can be of service? How many times could we have a positive influence in someone's life? In your case, a life-changing, a life-saving experience. I just wanted to point that out, that one of the messages that I've always gotten from you every time we talk, every time I've watched you speak, and every one of our listeners who has access to any meeting planner or if you are a meeting planner you need to bring in steve jennings as your keynote speaker as your 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 consultant for the day because what we need to be reminded about bro is our responsibility to use whatever talents and influence we have to help heal the world to help save the world and that's one of the first parts of your amazing story that always rang true with me whoa what if the person hadn't have been aware of making a difference? What what if they weren't situationally aware of an opportunity for them to reach out and save someone's life, in your case, you under the sheet? So please continue on. I just wanted to point that out, that that's one of the most powerful parts of your story for me.
5: You know, what you just shared brings a a, a memory of of a friend of ours, you know, the great Les Brown. And I was, I was able to, you know, speak along with Les Brown, and uh, he referred to the looking back at the sheet, that particular one man. He saw it as, as a message and a metaphor for a lot of people, to take another look. Take another look. And, you know, to look more deeply, more uh, insightfully into things, you know, to help others and, and to see where they could, you know, use your assistance. Use your help, your words, your heart, anything, to lift them up. You know, it's, it's something. If 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 people on this earth, and we should all know this message, but if we just took enough time to care, and just mm. continue that care around the world for others, true care. If we did just these simple things in life that we all know to do, but somehow, some way, we get caught up in our own lives, and we just don't seem to do it or do it enough or do it when that time could be just right to take another look for somebody's life it could change so much for people's lives you know there's so many points and we only have so much time but with people that are invincible warriors how i like to you know term what an invincible warrior is you know when they, they they find a way out of no way they they overcome the impossible they make the impossible possible they do these kinds of things well once you do that you understand how important it is you know, to share your life and share your message with others, you know? You see, when somebody's able to be prepared and ready, mentally, physically, emotionally, to effectively and successfully transform their weaknesses into their strengths, not just, you know, say the, say the phrase, weaknesses, weaknesses into strengths, but go through these challenges where you do indeed are faced with this incredible challenge of turning your weaknesses into your strengths. And then you defeat the odds. You break through the barriers. And you take action to live your life of purpose. Then you realize sustained success in your life. And then you move on, and then you're able to achieve dreams. Yeah, in your I life. agree. And these are the so things that, that you gotta do in life. Yep, so let's get back to
2: the sheet. Let's get back to the, the, the first responder who was aware, who looked back. And let's take it from there to uh, to
5: today. Well, wow! You know, uh, I'll just say this: Uh, uh, I was. It's hard to really explain the level of unconsciousness or consciousness at that time. I mean, I had brain injuries, uh, you know, and and my head, my skull was fractured. I had my my body internal bleeding, paralysis. My neck was broken. You know, so many things. So it wasn't as if I was alert and aware but I did know a sense I did I did have a sense of uh, uh of if you want to call it consciousness while I was unconsciousness of all that was around me and uh I knew that this was a challenge and I and even when I was in the you know hospital intensive care I was in a coma for for 32 days and I could share with you a little about being in a coma but I I don't want to spend a lot of time on that, but I do know this. If anybody's listening, if you have a loved one, those that you care about that are ever in a coma, know that there's a pretty good chance to hear you. Mm. So if you touch their hand. If you try to communicate with them, reach out to them, even though they don't seem like they can communicate with you, and even perhaps even squeeze your hand or hold your finger. Uh, Just know, through it all, no matter how it is,
2: that's amazing, Steve. It's a good
5: chance to hear you.
2: That's so so critically important.
5: Wow, that's 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 the truth. Uh, That was my truth.
2: but so when but again, they, uh,
5: Dan, beyond being in the coma and coming out into like six or seven weeks in a kind of a foggy type of a haze coming back, uh, it took me a long time to come back. Uh, I'll just say it took me, I was in a wheelchair, it took me years to come back, took me four years to learn to walk normally again, uh, and then I just kept, kept going uh, beyond that, and it, Dan, both of us, yeah, I'll say it to our audience, we're both athletes. We both, you, you 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 were like eleven, twelve, thirteen years, you know, athletic, athlete, football player. I did eleven years. Mm. Uh, you learn a little bit about you know overcoming and never quitting and and what it takes. And so, well, okay, I was going to lay it down to get up to stand up, and that's what I did, and uh,
2: yeah, I was some able people, to you know, come back. But would've... it wasn't just
5: physical. You know, yeah. destruction. It was financial decimation as well. There's a mm. lot to learn about coming back with challenges when you have very little to help you. And then you learn about being resourceful without many resources. And there's so much to learn about being an invincible warrior and what it takes in this life, Dan. You know that.
2: Yeah, Well, so, so when when everybody buys, what's the name of your book again?
5: It's called The Way of the Invincible Warrior.
2: Okay, and so okay.
5: in there, in, yeah. in there, invincible warrior,
2: and in there, listeners, you're gonna you're gonna see a photograph of this this distorted hunk of metal that was the vehicle that was the car that Steve was riding in. You'll see a picture of this broken man hanging on, sitting in a wheelchair, and you'll also see his magnificent picture and some action shots of him as a world class athlete and what i want listeners to visualize before they buy their buy your book is that if it happened to you it could also happen to them no matter what our past has been we have a spotless future so i want you to talk for a second about you not just recovering from this injury and being dev- devastated and decimated financially Talk about what you did mentally and emotionally to not only recover from your physical and emotional paralysis, both of us were paralyzed physically and emotionally, but why did you keep going to become a United States silver medalist and an All-American athlete? Let's talk about that for a minute.
5: You know, Dan, a lot of people, when they want to like, you know, become introspective or, you know, think about their life and what the meaning is, what their purpose is, they'll go to a... A mountaintop, or they'll go to they'll go along the ocean or a lakefront, and they'll they'll just sort of commune with nature, you know, the universe, and think about a few things. Well, uh, in this particular instance, I didn't really get that opportunity to do that. Uh, I'm in a foreign country. I'm in a hospital, alone, paralyzed, and when you're by yourself, you you get a chance to think. You get an opportunity to to see a few things, to see what things are and what things may not be. And I got a, a chance to see something about fear. Now, you and I have overcome a lot of fear. A lot of people on this call perhaps have you know overcome so many fears. But I found out a lot about fear and what fear is and what fear isn't. And uh, as you probably heard, it, fear is not real. It's just this fraud, depiction. It's something that's not real at all, but people hold on to it like it's this real thing. And it's not at all. And so I learned about overcoming fears, and I didn't allow fears to infiltrate my mind. I was going to keep, you know, all my, you know, my thinking, my thoughts, my spirit, you know, my intention, and of course, you know, my attitude. Because your attitude is only made up of what you put there, what you think, what you feel, what you believe, what you see. That becomes your attitude, your reality, your world. I wasn't going to continually paralyzed myself, I was going to give myself some freedom. When I was in that prison, if you want to call it that, I was going to set mm-hmm. myself free because I knew the power that I could place in my mind and my heart and soul. If I did that, I'd be fine. I'd keep going.
2: Okay, so and once so, you... Go ahead. Once you established that, it spilled over into every aspect of your life.
5: Well, uh, I'm not saying that... Um, I can uh, leap tall buildings in a single bound, you know, a more powerful than a locomotive, or faster than a speeding bullet, or something like that, Dan. But but I can say this: I learned to uh, that you can create amazing things in your life. You can overcome things that seem insurmountable, that impossible. You truly can make things possible when you believe them so, and then they shall be so in your life. Uh, most so many people. Constantly, everywhere, they hold themselves back from the greatest life they can have to that significant life that they can live. And Dan, I know you know this so well. I mean, you literally wrote the book on it, The Art of Significance, so I know you know. And I know you share that with your audience as well. So uh, the way you keep on is essentially, yeah, it's the belief in yourself. The self-belief, that's a mighty lesson and it's a mighty blessing but all successful men and women have. And and as I spoke about fear. When you see that fears aren't real, it's just a fraudulent fiction that you're gonna place in your head. If you don't put it there, it can't be there. People hold on to fear, sometimes sure. it's because they, they wanna hold themselves back. That's another thing. But yep. at, at the same time that people realize that, if fear's not real, you put it in your head, only you do, if you don't do it, it won't ever be. And you could go on and be successful so much more greatly in your life.
2: Yep, I agree. So let me let me just point out to the the, the listeners, there, it'll be a rare occasion when I have another person on my program like you and I say that sincerely, not trying to patronize you, bro. Because what you're saying rings true in a higher level, bro, because here's here's what here's what is triggered in me. The reason why I made such a big deal out of how handsome you are, how how in shape you are, how continuously you, you, you feed your brain and you're always reading and you're up on everything as an attorney. What, what I find in, in this world of ours, Steve, is so many people say, okay, I'm gonna work hard and I'm gonna overcome my paralysis and I'm gonna come back from my physical injury. And then they don't continuously read or study or understand what Jim Rohn said, one of my mentors and friends. He said, you know, formal education self education will make you a fortune. So how many people do we know that are brilliant, that are smart, but they're, they've let their bodies go? They're so out of shape, you know, their cholesterol counts higher than their SAT scores and they're not the best that they can be in all aspects of their lives. How many people do we know that are spiritual giants, they're in tune with the supreme being with whom I call God. They are so generous and so good, and yet they've let their bodies go or they've let their finances go. How many wealthy people do we know that have figured out the entrepreneurship code and they've cracked the code and they become so wealthy, but they've allowed their relationships and their lives to fall apart and wealthy guys who are just obese and out of shape. You see what I'm saying, brother? I want you to just share just for a moment of why you, of all people, caught the vision that if you're going to be the best that you can be, it should also be physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, socially, financially, and familial with your family. Talk to us about why you are the ultimate warrior, why you are the ultimate invincible warrior in all aspects of your life, and if you can do it, why we should too.
5: You know, Dan, there are so many people on this earth and from so many walks of life. And having everyone reach just a, a, this incredible ultimate standard of things in life, be a super dynamo, that's asking a whole lot. Because you've got to take people where they are in their lives. But wherever you are in your life, you can always be more, do more, create more, and provide more for others if you have a reason and you have a purpose, a burning purpose to do it in your life. Because I could give all sorts of ideas of plans, I give like you your perfect structure, an outline, you know, to follow a business plan, a life plan. I could do all that. But it's really going to come down to some basic things, some fundamental things. And I'll tell you, Dan, we both know that so many people fail in fundamentals. You've got to have your fundamentals down. And believe me, as an athlete, you learn about fundamentals. Isn't that right, Dan? Yes, sir. Yeah, we learned about fundamentals. You were a coach, a successful championship football coach, and guess what? Way back in the day as a young man, just after I finished college football, I I was a football coach, and I also coached a championship ball club myself. And we Mm learned about fundamentals. A lot of people don't understand fundamentals in their lives, you know, to apply. But, Rhett, other than going into all these fundamentals, let me just get back to the point I was making about a reason and a purpose that matters to you so deeply that you'll do it, that will continue to burn no matter what, will try to drown it out and douse it out in your life. If you've got that burning desire, what it takes to like, I'm going to continue on, if you've got that in you somehow, some way, then you will find a way. But people have to have it first in order to, you know, get over and get past those barriers, scale the mountains, you know, do these kinds of things. And so people have to, they're going to have to search deep. That's really where it's going to be. They've got to do that first and foremost. What matters to you? Does it really matter? What is, a lot of people say it's, kind of, it's kind of trite to say, but, you know, like say, what is your why? You know, do you have your why? why? I mean, you hear that so much, but really and truly, you've got to have, well, why? Why do I want to? What matters to me? Does it really, does it care? Do I care about me? And you talk about people's health. You touched on that a few 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 times. You mentioned it just then, and yes, you know I believe in health and I believe in fitness. And yes, I'm the United States silver medalist, and I do all these events and physical stuff and and all of that. But the thing is, it goes down simply to people. Uh, a lot of people are wealthy, but they're 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 extremely poor, you know, with their health. A lot of people maybe just have enough money, but they may be also poor in their health. The thing is this it's personal management. It's life management. If you're a better personal manager of your life, you know, along with your finances and your health you know, and your work and your family and your faith, if you can be a better life manager, you have better life management skills. And of course, you know, I share so much of this with my, in my teachings, in my courses, in my, you know, seminars, in my speaking, you know, my consulting of, of how you go about it. But, because people need a roadmap. And by the way, the book, uh, my book, The Way of the Invincible Warrior, it's a powerful roadmap. It's a manifesto. Of Absolutely. This is how you achieve in life. It's there. It's, y- it's all in that book of how you go about it. This is I your roadmap. The,
2: and I want to be the first one to testify. I'm- show that I it influenced me it took me I've been a professional speaker for 35 years the, the 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 invincible warrior took me to the next level no matter where you are in your life it will inspire you and give you the tools and benefits that will last a lifetime. the techniques the step-by-step proven process to take yourself to the next level Steve Jennings my guest tell us how to get a copy of invincible warrior tell us how we can get a hold of you and join your tribe
5: well, uh, you can go to, you know, most people don't get books on eBay, but right now you can get it on eBay for sure. Uh, at this very moment, I've got an issue, don't like saying it, but it's the way it is. There's kind of an issue somehow with my account on, uh, Amazon, so you, but you can also get it on, uh, you know, Steve You get it on invinciblewarriorbook.com, invinciblewarriors.com. There's lots of ways you can get the book, uh, the way of the invincible warrior. Uh, I just had a young guy, do, a young guy, 23 you, to years bring old. You in as a, to, I'm sorry, go ahead.
2: No, I was just saying, how can we get a hold of you to bring you in as a keynote speaker and as a consultant?
5: Oh, well, again, you can just go to stevejennings.com. There's contact information there. And uh, I, as far as uh, an email, steve at stevejennings.com. Uh, it'll certainly be routed to me, and I will get it. Uh, but it's at steve at stevejennings.com email address that's a quite direct and quite simple way to do that Dan
2: okay brother hey um, I want to have you on again you inspire me again I, I encourage every listener to track down my guest Steve Jennings because he as I said he inspires you to be the whole person not just be good in one aspect of your life we can all do that gosh I, I got a great body but your personal life's falling apart gosh I got a huge bank account but your body's falling apart. Regardless of what the case may be, Steve Jennings is my inspiration to be the whole man, the real man that we talked about at the beginning of the show. Steve, I'll have you back. I'm sorry we ran out of time. I got another guest coming on with General Don Alston to talk about what happened at D-Day when we stormed the beaches of Omaha. And trust me, Don Alston, retired two star general, is a real man. Thank you, Steve Jennings. Let's go to break. And don't want to, you don't want to go anywhere. This is Dan Clark, the influencers channel. And we'll be back in a moment.
0: Hear the stories. Be motivated. Be inspired. Join us today. Voice America Influencers.
6: The Voice America Live Events channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events.
0: We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel.
1: You're listening to The Art of Significance featuring your host, Dan Clark. If you want to join in on this week's discussion, give us a call at 1 866 472 5795. Again, that's 1 866 472 5795 or drop Dan a line via email to danclark at xmission.com. Now back to the Art of Significance,
2: here again is Dan Clark. Welcome back. If you've been on my uh, on my show on this frequency, on this station for the last uh, hour or so, you've heard my guest with Kat Gravit, who's uh, one of my dear friends, platinum selling hit songwriter and the influence that music has in our lives. Just finished listening to my dear friend, Steve Jennings, who's a world-class athlete, and we failed to talk about how he was named, he was nominated and named a United Nations ambassador for peace, just one of few individuals. And that's so significant to setting up a, another discussion with a, a definite reoccurring guest, Major General Don Alston, who's a retired two-star Air Force general who, not only is uh, an extraordinary human being and a great military leader and and mind who has been brought into brief you know congress brief different services committees on on the state of of our affairs globally but don alston has been around the block as a public affairs officer which means he's been the spokesperson the point person in so many of our conflicts around the country around the world who 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 has to put into words an explanation of exactly what's happening in iraq baghdad what is happening exactly in this particular part of the world in afghanistan in our missileer um nuclear deterrent world in which we live and so it's an honor to have Don Alston back. May I read a quick, short resume that's only one paragraph long from about 27 pages? Major General Don Alston is a graduate of the U.S. Air Force Academy, MBA, and a recently retired two-star now president of Alston Strategic Consulting specializing in high-sequence strategic planning and safety-intensive operations for nuclear weapons operations. Did you get that? Not only nuclear weapons operations, but maintenance and security. From 2005 to 2006, Alston served in Baghdad as the deputy chief of staff, strategic communications, and spokesman for multinational force. Wow. Engaging international media with the Iraqi government. Don's final assignment was commander of the 20th Air Force, responsible for 9,600 personnel, three operational bases, and 450 deployed intercontinental ballistic missiles, responsible for, for providing the ICBM alert force to U.S. Strategic Command. Don directed the nuclear task force that executed the most extensive reorganization of the Air Force in 15 years, and definitely, trust me on this one. Don understands deterrence and assurance in relation to the volatility of North Korea, China, Russia, and Iran. And we'll answer every question about what could and cannot happen. Welcome back to my show, General Alston. I love you, Don. I honor you. You are amazing. Thanks for joining me on the anniversary of D-Day.
8: Dan, it's always great to be with you, and uh, I've been listening to the show today, and uh, boy, I'll tell you, Kat and Steve, uh, they're they're a tough act to follow, but I'm willing to try.
2: No, every military man and woman who serves uh, active duty guard reserve is in their same category, obviously. They would be the first ones to say, no, we put you all on the pedestal. Because you're a historian, because you're a closet philosopher, because you're so uh astute of of everything that's going on in the world more than anyone i've ever met could you just take us back to world war ii give us the the backdrop of d-day since we're celebrating 73 years and kind of give us the give us the feel for what the climate was in the world at the time and why we had to storm those beaches and take two thousand losses
8: uh dan thank you um what a uh what a day in history this was uh, 73 years ago. But it was a day that had uh, been, uh, that had evolved over the prior two years. I mean, this was a, an operation that began planning more than two years before June 6, 1944. And it involved, uh, ultimately on D Day, it involved moving uh, the likes of Green Bay, Wisconsin, Kenosha and Racine, every man, woman, and child. Uh, from one side of Lake Michigan into the other side of Lake Michigan, 175,000 people crossed the channel on June 6, 1944, and uh, ultimately by the end of the day, 175,000 people came ashore, 50,000 vehicles, they were covered by 10,000 aircraft, uh, over 5,000 ships were involved in the operation. This was on a scale the world had never seen before, and most of our forces had never seen combat before, and so they had uh, quite an amount, uh, an extensive amount of training, as realistic as they could make it. All over England, finding terrain that would most match what their mission was going to be that day, and along the beaches of Normandy, uh, it was divided into uh, with, with a handful of names. There was Juno and Gold and Sword, um, but Omaha Beach was where the Americans were going to land, and Omaha Beach was the most heavily defended of the entire Normandy coast that we were going to assault. And the Germans had fortified, as much as they could, the entire coastline, uh, hundreds of kilometers, with something which they called the Atlantic Wall. And they had so much defense in depth, from mines in the ocean to machine guns and and large artillery. Uh, And our folks, our troops, the Americans a storm in the beach at at Omaha Beach, Um, they had to take on the brunt. And like any other major military operation, you depend on really good planning, but it all goes away when you have contact with the enemy. And Mm. the aircraft, uh, not one bomb in the preparation that was supposed to really neutralize a lot of this capability of the Germans, not one bomb landed on Omaha Beach that morning in preparation. The naval Mm. assault was too brief, and it was off target. So when our troops, who had been promised that they were going, when those doors opened on those boats, that they were going to find the area very much prepared, uh, when those doors opened, uh, entire boatloads were gunned down by machine, by machine guns, and it was uh, uh, one chapter in Stephen Ambrose's uh, book called it uh, "A Visitor to Hell," and you can just imagine the and the the Germans had sighted. All along their fortifications, they had already set up all of their fixed emplacements uh, to to uh, attack those areas where an attacking force was likely to come. So they couldn't have been more prepared to take on our folks. And um, and I had I heard you read a, a little bit of a story. I'm going to tell again right now. Stephen Ambrose. Uh, Stephen Ambrose, the author of the book D-Day that he wrote in 1994. He came up to Malmstrom Air Force Base, where I was, uh, I I commanded there in a few different levels, and in this particular time, it was around 1999 or 2000, and he came in to give a speech at a dinner the night before, and so this next day, we're going to show him about uh, nuclear operations, and so that day begins with him coming, and and we, we introduced him to the crew force, and so he's going to talk to all the missile launch officers that are going on work that day, and he stood up in front of them, and he said, he started to describe what it was like at Omaha Beach. And he says, when the door of that Higgins boat came open, uh, immediately the the captain was, was gunned down. And then behind him, the lieutenant stepped up and advanced the group out of the boat a little farther, and then he was cut down. And then beyond him, the sergeant took responsibility, and he moved forward. And this went on and on as they clawed their way up the beach. And then he dramatically uh, paused for a moment, and he looked at them, and he said... And none of them, not one of them, have the responsibility that each and every one of you missile launch officers has today as you go out there on alert. Now, I appreciated uh, Stephen Ambrose stroking the ICBM alert force that day for sure, but what kind of a history would we have uh, been living if it weren't for these junior members of the greatest generation uh, who had grown up in a democracy and could think on their feet and be agile enough to make a decision and lead and take that next step. Because the force they were fighting, the totalitarian force they were fighting, didn't have that ability to think on your feet and to make decisions without asking a central command authority of what the next action should be that they take. But Americans were, in, mm-hmm. uh, you know, ingenious, innovative and, uh, and they took charge and they just kept moving forward. And, you know, and because of that, um, World War II came to a close uh, brutally uh, over the course of the next year. But without this foothold in Normandy, um, who knows how long that fight would have gone on and how much more um, death and carnage would have taken place and what the outcome ultimately
2: would have been. Yes, sir. So let's let's get right to the chase. You called them the greatest generation Here's my question. So over the weekend, I have dinner with some dear, dear friends and the entrepreneurial couple that they are, one of their major businesses was opening up a spa slash, you know, hairstyling. It was kind of a one-stop shop and it was high-end. It was wonderful. Well, they just sold it and let go, uh, gave the option of the 52 young men and young women working there to take over the business and the reason why they sold it and got out of this business was because of the entitlement mentality of the new generation you talk about the greatest generation share the owner of this spa she said she was interviewing new women coming in young ladies coming in who said okay I'm just going to work three hours and then I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And She's like, wait a minute. What about the eight hour workday? What about this? How am I supposed to work in enterprise? Here's my question, General. In your opinion, is our new generation prepared mentally and emotionally to do do what our real men did 73 years ago on Omaha Beach? And if not, why not? And if so, what did they do to prepare themselves? What are we going to do about this new world in which we face?
8: And those are some really large questions. And I'll tell you, I have read a lot on on how uh, you know, senior managers need to approach uh, millennials. And, and, you know, we, we come up with these labels and we reduce large groups of people with uh, and labeled them with uh, certain things that clearly you you can't paint everybody with the same brush for sure. And when you reflect on the world um, during the time of World War II, um, that was a a threat and a challenge, a uh, clear and present danger, if you will. And the entire nation was mobilized, and we put on a show of industrial might that the world had never seen before and has never seen again and is never likely to see again. Uh, under such urgent terms, uh, because so much was at stake, so much was at risk. And therefore, generations were personally invested in the threats, and they were felt at home, and they were witnessed, uh, and all the carnage was witnessed uh, you know, overseas. And, and there was a, a profound sense of understanding of just what the stakes were back at that time. And that forges generations of thought. And sacrifice and those kinds of things that people had to actually live through. Whether you were in the continental United States, separated by oceans from this fight, or so much of America, so many people had their family invested it personally over there, overseas, and so many didn't come home. So that 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 back uh, that time back there, uh, there was a visceral, uh, personal understanding. For the challenge that our nation and the world faced at that time, and, and so that produced generations of guys like me that had a connection to that. And so, as time has gone on, I think that the current generation has not been faced with those kinds of geopolitical threats and risks that are so immediate as to contribute to their, you know, formation of their of their uh, character necessarily. And so, I think that also triggers a lot of folks to write on it and think on it and. And I think inflate the risk that uh, beyond what is fair for this generation, because I've been exposed to these young men and women that qualify as millennials, and um, I think that leadership certainly can't take for granted that we live in a world where you can just tell somebody to do it and expect that um, that's all you have to do. Uh, there is more of a uh, preparation and a leadership responsibility to explain what needs to be done, why it needs to be done but ultimately that's that's a leadership challenge that isn't the uh, fault of yes, the sir. problem of the person being led uh, that's the senior folks being able to articulate what the cause is and and then mm. uh, inspiring them to do what needs to be done but uh, i think it's fair that that's the burden that the leader has and i have found that these young men and women are just as ready today as they have been throughout uh, throughout my entire life and my career to step up to that. So I don't think it's it's fair to hate them as unprepared, unwilling, or unable to step up to these challenges.
2: I agree with you, sir. And I honor the military, all services, especially our blue, our Air Force. We love them. We support them. But here's the question, brother. Here's the observation. Most people don't realize that only 1% of our population here in America actually serves in the military. And there's various answers for that, my observation being involved at the highest levels for so many years as a civilian supporting our Air Force and for our, as a civilian supporting our military is that there's maybe there's only 1% of our American population who actually gets what you're saying, that the idea of living by the three core values of integrity, service before self, and commitment to excellence in all you do is such a high bar that it turns away most people. So I think our discussion has led right into the fact that in World War II, when we were attacked at Pearl Harbor and my dad's cousin, Mervin S. Bennion, was killed as the commanding officer of the USS West Virginia, where he received the Medal of Honor because of his gallantry. When we were attacked on our soil, like you said, it was easy in the current present danger to rise to the occasion and say don't mess with me you're in our backyard we're going to take care of you but now the idea of nuclear deterrent now the idea of fighting the wars outside of our own soil is somehow so hard for most of our american public to understand that we have these war protesters still going on when we have these brutal terrorist attacks in london in the last couple of weeks back to back I mean, let's talk about this deterrent. We only have a few minutes, Sir, but you're the expert on nuclear deterrent. You're the expert as a, as a six two, six three stud, strong, handsome, you know smart <laughs> gentleman. You and I laugh about that, but you and I have avoided a lot of conflicts in our lives because we were bigger and stronger than the guy who wanted to pick a fight. So let's just focus in on the nuclear deterrent. Please help us educate as a leader. Let's educate in the last couple of minutes. Let's educate the listeners. On why the nuclear deterrent is so critically important, especially in, in in sight, and in concert with North Korea, this crazy man, and China and Russia.
8: Um, well, Dan, I, that is uh, that 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 is just uh, it's hard to summarize in a short amount of time all the factors I think that that help inform um, uh, the this kind of a discussion. But let me try with this. I agree with you a hundred percent that. That for a lot of our uh, younger generations in America, that uh, things have become the threats have become a bit more distant and a bit more abstract to them. And as much as they can read what a guy like Kim Jong Un is doing, and as much as he's portrayed in the media as uh, having all these, uh, you know, uh, that the guy's an idiot or you know, uh, lots of derogatory things, and. I'm not. I'm not going to uh, uh, argue those points as much as I'm going to say he's got a very deliberate path that he's on with his missile program. And just because he's had failure after failure, uh, America didn't get a good ICBM launch till number 14 in the test program. So uh, he's really working hard to uh, perfect his capability. So he's a real threat, uh, even if he's uh, you know several thousand miles away. Uh, he that's a bona fide threat and concern. Uh, but then when you uh, when you look also at the terrorist attack in London last week, um, you know, the terrorists, the, 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 the future of a terrorist state like the caliphate and whatever ISIS is trying to do, you know, that's never going to come to pass. And, you know, that, that has been eroded and is on the verge of being snuffed out in Iraq. But terrorism itself, and when you see these attacks where folks are, you know, probably um, loosely, Uh, making this up in their apartment and then choosing uh, their own targets. Uh, What they do is they try to put a wedge within society so that they can break trust, so that they can force people to, um, you know, part of their freedom gets compromised by this uh, effort to compromise trust between uh, members of society. And, and then, you know, if you don't stand strong, um, then you, you change your life and it impacts your quality of life. And, and we just could never tolerate that. Uh, you know, the society in the United Kingdom, the United States, and in most parts of the world just cannot stand for that. Uh, so when it visits you close, even the youth in that area uh, have to understand that, that you have to take a stand. And when it's remote and it's far away from you, you're less motivated uh, to stand up to that threat until it gets closer to you. Unfortunately, but uh, but when it's when it's in your face, you gotta take a stand. and And I think when you watch the people of Manchester, it's pretty moving to see them all stand up uh, and look so united. And if you're one of the evil doers and you're looking to say, you know, this isn't quite the outcome we were thinking of getting uh, out of that, or with what happened on london bridge the other night um, it's not the outcome that they uh, seem to anticipate in the near term but in the long term you know it's an effort to break trust uh and to have people cower and you know democracies just don't uh cower uh very well you can't you can't take us there without us ultimately uh taking a stand and and uh um, and ensuring that our way of life and and the freedoms preserved
2: I agree, brother. You're so articulate. I love it. I'm going to have you on the show so often, as, you, as I promise my listeners. But in the last couple of minutes, we've got about five minutes, maybe. Uh, I want to go right to the real threat of China and Russia. Why are we cowering away from what they've been doing the last decade or more in building up their nuclear arsenal and their blue water navy, their military might, and why we as voters, why we as Americans need to be aware of the power of a deterrent, which is what you're one of your multiple experts, uh, expertise is in, is in the, the global strike capability. Let's just go there for a minute, and then I know you're articulate. I might have to say, okay, let's just bring you back on the show. So let's just keep going until I have to cut you off. This is so <laughs> fascinating to me. I love you so much.
6: Well, the, the, the over um,
8: about eight years ago, as you know, we were preparing to do a New START treaty and, and the last nuclear posture review, there was also a, a, a wave of optimism that we could hit the reset button with Russia and that we would not only be, be able to negotiate further reductions in our nuclear arms, um, but perhaps even beyond that treaty, we may be able just together, without all the, these formal processes, continue to walk beyond those thresholds. Uh, to get to uh, even fewer nuclear weapons. And that was never uh, an idea embraced by the Russians. And so, uh, really, we continued to uh, move in, uh, not so much move in that direction, but there was this disarmament drumbeat that was going on. And these young men and women that I would see, uh, that were wearing uh, our Air Force uniform and talking to me about, you know, I see all this stuff going on, but I hear this drumbeat that says, we're going to get rid of all these nuclear weapons, and I don't see anyone except, you know, maybe my service secretary and my chief of staff standing up saying, here are the needs that we've got, and they include these vital strategic capabilities. Nobody else is standing up to challenge this disarmament drumbeat. And then, of course, the Russians go into, uh, they take Crimea, they go into eastern Ukraine, they get engaged in Syria, they threaten the Baltics, and they show their real colors. And we're blessed that we had built such a strong nuclear capability, strategic capability, that um, we were prepared for the Russians to show their colors, because you shouldn't be preparing um, these great national security capabilities based on promises and intentions. You need to face what the real capabilities are. We knew their capabilities. We matched their capabilities or have greater capabilities in some cases, except that we chose to um, you know, not make a commitment to modernize our forces, where the Russians saw they were in trouble, and they began modernizing their forces uh, many years ago, And the Chinese have continued to modernize and expand their forces. So we're behind the eight ball when it comes to um, uh, you know modernizing our forces, and we're blessed that American engineers had produced fifty years ago and sixty years ago. The kinds of capabilities we're still depending on today, like the B-52 bomber and the Minuteman um, III, well, the Minuteman III came in the 70s, but the ICBM force that we built, and and much of that legacy goes back to the late 50s and early 60s, we're just blessed that we were so good at it. But uh, now we're almost late to need with uh, the need to refresh and modernize these capabilities in order to maintain our credibility with threats
2: that can challenge our uh, existence. Yeah, so and without that. without slamming one side or of the aisle or another, for the last eight years, our our passive attitude towards nuclear deterrent and 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 posturing ourselves as the strongest country in the world has led to a Putin in Russia who basically says, you know, you can't do anything to stop me. Uh, let's draw a line in the sand, our administration did, and then when they crossed the line, then they changed the line. I'm like, you got to, at some point, stop the aggression. Is it true that we have these long-range bombers playing cat and mouse on our Alaskan-U.S. border, where the Russians just basically disregard our airspace and they come and wait till they're flag down where we have to scramble some fighter jets to get them back home is that true or is that just speculation sir
8: no no, no. they 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 certainly force us to intercept uh intercept them and these things uh, reek of the cold war and so they come and they they push the envelope and you know this is a you know it's not a choreographed engagement here but you know you see them coming you have to do your due diligence and you go up and challenge them and then they turn away And, you know, this is what was going on in the 50s and the 60s, and now it's uh, there was a hiatus at some point right after the fall of the Soviet Union, but certainly it's back again. But to the point you made a minute ago about Putin, Putin actually said, hey, don't forget, I've got nuclear weapons, so if you want to challenge me in Ukraine or Crimea, um, let's all be thoughtful about the next move you make. And then he, you know, specifically, I know it sounds almost comical, that he threatens Denmark with nuclear weapons, Poland. Saudi Arabia, um, and uh, it's you just you know uh, think uh, here's a guy that is leveraging nuclear deterrence in a way that is is very uncomfortable for us, and the West didn't have an effective response to curb his behavior. So exactly. um, anyway, the, the world actually involves these level of forces. They are used every day in one capacity or another. And you've got to be credible, meaning you have to have capable systems and you have to have competent people and it has to be believable to the other side. Um, This is not a place on the battlefield we can afford to uh, move away from or take a weaker posture.
2: All right. So in the last two minutes together here, brother, before I bring you back on another day. In lieu of D-Day and honoring those who gave the ultimate sacrifice, I just, I tear up every time I go to Arlington, I tear up every time I visit the Iwo Jima Memorial, I tear up every time I see the Air Force Monument, I tear up at the World War II, the Korean the Vietnam Memorial, I I just honor you so much. What is the single most important thing that you would say to our American public right now uh, as voters if you were... President of the United States, what would you what would you want us to know about our future safety and well, our war against terrorism? The first tough thing question, comes brother. To mind,
8: the first thing that comes to mind is that um, as as Americans, I really uh, um, I appreciate how much the population at large honors our military. Um, in ways that are, you know, generations beyond the way we treated our Vietnam, our, our returning veterans. And and now they are included in how we honor all of our veterans. And, and thank God we reached that point as a society that we can do that. Um, but that our ability to um, maintain uh, and protect our national security, our interests and in our way of life, is work that's done, hard work that's done every day. And it's done every day in every capacity, and and it's not just with the troops that are in the line of fire, though you think of them the most, but it's those that are just practicing and training every day to be as good as they can be in case they're ever called upon to do something like that. And it's the families that are face, you know, that face financial challenges. Um, that, you know, are moving from one place to another as we begin the summer when so much of our military is in motion as they're breaking down one household someplace else and we're moving them to another location to get greater experience or to move up to uh, to other greater responsibilities as they, we groom the military member for greater responsibilities. But the families have to then figure out, okay, what school system, where are we going to buy the house because we want to get to the best schools? And and uh, now we, the, the spouse leaves one job and he has to prepare to get another job. All of that goes on, especially in the summer, and that, too, is all a part of uh, the kind of um, choices that our military makes and our families and the sacrifices that they make. And all of that adds to our national security. and uh, And so there is no small detail uh, from combat operations through the next move that is not something worth honoring. Um, for our, the rest of our Americans who might not be wearing a uniform, but certainly have a great debt and, and are very grateful for the support of the, of the uniform members and their families.
2: Yes, sir. So what I, what I translate that into to all of us who are voting Americans, yes, we need to fully fund education. Yes, we need to fully fund health care. We have so many social issues and special interests that affect all of us but at the same time, we need to fully fund our military and give them the tools and the resources required to provide that deterrent, that freedom that we all take for granted. On this D-Day anniversary, 73 years ago, we had men, real men, storm the beaches of Normandy, France, that single-handedly turned around the outcome of our world as we know it today. God bless our military, God bless you, General. This is Dan Clark, voiceamerica.com, the influencers channel, and let me sign off with one of my favorite quotes that I've used in the past. It is the soldier, or the airman, the marine, the sailor, the coast guard. It is the soldier, not the minister, who has given us freedom of religion. It is the soldier, not the reporter, who has given us freedom of the press. It is the soldier, not the poet, who has given us freedom of speech. It is the soldier, not the campus organizer, who has given us freedom to protest. It is the soldier, not the lawyer, who has given us the right to a fair trial. It is the soldier, not the politician, who has given us the right to vote. It is the soldier who salutes the flag, who serves beneath the flag, and whose coffin is draped by the flag, who allows the protester to burn the flag. May we always honor our military and support their families. God bless all of us to influence anyone we possibly can to become all that they were born to be. God bless America. Please join me, danclark.com. Click on receive free gifts and training and join my tribe until next Tuesday. Let's enjoy our freedom and thank someone in uniform. God bless us.
1: Thanks for being part of the show. Be sure to join Dan Clark next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time for another edition of The Art of Significance on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Remember, you too can achieve the level beyond success.